John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial. Plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Hi, this is Steve. It's been an incredible journey, but the month of Hitchcock on the Cinephiles is coming to an end. And what better way to finish than with a commentary track on what is, in all likelihood, his most influential film. Shot on a small budget with a crew from his television show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Psycho is arguably the most successful black-and-white film ever made. And its unusual structure, open sexuality, disturbing violence, memorable score, and incredible performance from Anthony Perkins makes it a movie few of us will ever forget. John and I have a great time sitting down and watching this together. And if you want to join us on our journey to the Bates Motel, the best way to do it is to visit our website, cinephiles.net, Buy the Blu-ray or stream it from Amazon Prime while listening to the cinephile's commentary on the groundbreaking horror film, Psycho. Hello and welcome to the cinephiles and our final week of our month of Hitchcock. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, well, my name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host writer and producer of numerous shows and podcasts here in the greater area of Los Angeles. And I'm super excited that we're doing another... We haven't done a commentary track... Since Kane. Since Citizen Kane. It's been a year. So we're back into doing another commentary track for our month of Hitchcock. And I, this is one the fans chose. Psycho. Yeah. It was it was a close race. Really? What yeah. was the other one? So the other one was North by Northwest, oh, and it was choice. neck and neck. It was wow. like North by Northwest was up, and mm-hmm. then Psycho was up, and then North by Northwest. And then Psycho went up by 10. Right. And at that point is when I called you and said, okay, I think we're going to do Psycho. Right. And then it was only up by 8, and it was only up by 9. Whoa. And then it was even again, Whoa. and Psycho now just won by 2. Yeah. So this was a close one. Well, Psycho killed the competition. Hey-oh! <laughs> 
So uh, we are going to do a commentary track, which means uh, I we are sitting here in my office. Uh, Psycho has been brought up on my TV, and I'm going to do a little countdown and hit play, and we're going to go right into it. Oh, and one other thing. One thing I am not sitting with is I have no notes. That's right. <laughs> this is a this is a little scary for me. We're going to wing this thing. It is all what, what occurs to us off the top of our heads. Right. And we're going to count down this thing right now in five, four, three, two, one, play. Universal logo. Yeah. You you so you didn't do the DVD job at Universal, right? Uh, you came in after. No, I came in after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched this logo because I was actually working only on Universal DVDs for a while. I watched it over and over and over again. Oh wow, it haunted me. Okay, it's just a little personal upset. Yeah, and now we're into back to Paramount Pictures. Now are we we're not going to hear any of the audio. No, I have it turned down. Okay. You want me to bring it up a little bit? Just a little bit. Well, this opening music that we have, Bernard Herman. There we go. It's really, really good. So classic. Dun, dun, dun. And another Saul Bass title sequence. Oh, yeah. Oh, Same okay. guy who did Vertigo, which we just did. That makes sense. The thing about this movie is, very even from the beginning, this is the best theme song, or movie theme, rather, until Jaws, in my opinion. Certainly, it's in terms of a horror. Absolutely, in the most, I think it's been ranked over and over again. It's like the most recognizable, along with Jaws, mm-hmm. piece of movie scoring. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Bernard Herman when we did Vertigo. Is yes, that, uh, he he does a lot of the heavy lifting in in this movie. Hitchcock says he's worth thirty three percent. Wow. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Of this movie, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, it's it's he does a lot. Well, and this movie was made uh, on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to make it. Uh, Paramount didn't want to spend the money on it. It was based on a book, I think. Yeah, it is. Uh, they just showed it, yeah. Um, and uh, Paramount said no, and finally Hitchcock said, well, I'll do it with a TV crew for like a million bucks. Right. And then he said, I won't even take my normal... I think Hitchcock would make $250,000 on a film. Right. And he said, I'm not going to take it. I'll just take a piece of the profits. Like a third of the profits. Yeah, oh, little did he being, know. That ended up being a good call for him. <laughs> well, the the movie Hitchcock that uh, Anthony Hopkins plays Alfred Hitchcock in with uh, uh, Helen Mirren playing uh, with Pat. Was Alma. It Pat? Oh, Alma, right. Um, is based around this time in his life when he was looking. He The studios weren't sure if they could trust him. They didn't want to give him the money for Psycho. So the whole film is about him having a crisis of confidence not only his relationship, but as an artist, and eventually Psycho is the thing he creates out of this incredible uh, time of, um, I don't know, of uh, insecurity or fear or worry about his legacy as a film director. It's so crazy to me. Uh, by the way, we're in Phoenix, Arizona. Yes. Um, and it's so crazy to me to think of in the end of the 50s that he has a crisis of confidence. Right. After the run of some of the most amazing films of his career. Well, you know, you know, the greatest, the great ones, you know, it's all relative. It's all perspective. This is all like, like starting like Dragnet. 2.43 p.m. Yeah. December 11th. Originally, I know they wanted this to be like you actually would fly through into the window, but they couldn't quite make it work. So this is end up being on a studio. Well, Orson Welles made it work at Citizen Kane. True. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be mean. I just love that movie so much. But the dread here is so great, right? Just the soft dread. And then, of course, the sexiness of Janet Lee. Well, this th- yeah. this is a very sexy movie. It is. Well, and the linkage between sex and uh, scariness, I think Alfred Hitchcock is the guy who first really discovered that. And now in horror movies, that's just connected. 
Yeah. This is a very sexy scene for 1960. I agree. Like, she's in her bra. And Jen Lee's an attractive lady. She's in the slip, the whole nine. This is a, and this is for those of you who are young. Janet Lee uh, is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, right? Is That's that right? right. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom with Tony Curtis. Yep. Yeah, her well, being her dad. Well, and the fact that we have an unmarried couple who are yeah. staying in a cheap hotel yeah. for like afternoon sex. Right. That is really, and there's a bunch of things in this movie that really push the boundaries of what was appropriate. Right. Oh, um, well, Sam, this is the last time. It's uh, risque. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, and we hear that you know they have to meet in secret because, right. and he only comes down on business trips, and that he, I think he's was divorced, and yeah, I mean this is exposing a whole world that really wasn't seen on film. Well, it also lays the groundwork to Janet Lee's character that this is a character that violates the rules or breaks yeah. the law uh, of whether the moral or you know societal to get what she wants to satisfy her impulses. Now, here's my question. Do you trust this guy at the beginning of this movie? No, I don't either. Like she, either keep, of them at the beginning of this movie. Well, she 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 keeps talking about well, can we meet in public? And mm-hmm. we can. And he keeps saying no. And I'm going. And it's funny later on in the movie he ends up being that he is a good guy. But right. at this point, I'm like, no, he's just using her or something. Right. And this is the uh, this is the tw- the um, direction of Hitchcock. They tell him the guy, the actor to play it this way. Like he's got the sneer. He's got the smoothness. He's got the charm. You know, he starts out in the dominant position in the film because she's laying on the bed, he's standing over her, all of that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, and, and it, you know, you can tell that it doesn't have the budget. Like we just no. did Vertigo, and Vertigo is just beautifully shot. And beautiful. one of the reasons it's black and white is that black and white's cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, shot with a TV crew on sets that are similar to TV sets. It feels like a TV set. Yep. Yeah. That wouldn't, from that time. Yeah. Um, and what's so interesting is how many things Hitchcock wants to get us invested in yeah. that end up not continuing. Yeah. Like normal movie structure is the stories that you start in the beginning. Those are the things you're going to work on throughout the film. And right. this story of this relationship and mm-hmm. her wanting to be married to him and him resisting because of his alimony or something like that. Right. His debts. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, dick move. I mean, like, yeah. you know, th- there's no... <laughs> When you're going, no, we can't get married until like I deal with my debts. Yeah, you're just keeping her at arm's length. I guess, opinion. yeah, but also a part of you is like, well, maybe some people do have that principle, like they don't want to burden other people with their debts. I get, now, I totally get the principle. Yes, but what he's doing is going, well, I can have sex with you without marrying exactly. you, without seeing you in public or having any real relationship with you. That's weird that he won't see her in public. Yeah, right. I mean, he's divorced. He's not married. Right, right, right. Is he ashamed of her? Well, this is this is why I think the movie wants us to think that he's a jerk at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, um, you know, and her and what's the big decision she's got to make? Am I going to continue with this guy until he eventually pays off his debts, which could right. be never, or I'm going to leave him? Yeah. Um, and at this moment, she seems like she's kind of rejecting him and right. walking out. Now she's the dominant one. Right, it's the tables turn within this scene from where she's like, "Oh, I, I sh- we shouldn't even meet anymore." To by the end, she's like, "All right, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go." And some women are like, some women have that they, in the moment of vulnerability, they're able, to, or people, I guess, in the moment of vulnerability, you know, they kind of open up about these things, and then once they put their armor on, they're the ones who control the situation. You know. So we're at the real estate office where she works, and there's uh, the woman who is with her. I believe is Pat Hitchcock. That's oh, Hitchcock's daughter. Wow. Um, and uh, we're talking about that there's 
some guy that's going to come in and make a really big deal that the boss is out with. Um, and that's where the, 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 the MacGuffin of this movie is going to yeah. come from, which is a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Here he is coming in now. Uh, and this is a classic, like Texas jerk. Yep. Um, cause he comes in and immediately starts flirting with Janet Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And trying immediately to undercut this, uh, guy, at the knees so he can be the dominant male in the situation. Um, it, It's so weird the game he plays with her, too, because it's this weird, I take good care of my daughter by giving her lots of money. Yeah. And, hey, how are you? <laughs> um, It's just horrible. Right. She pulls out stuff so she can just, like, I don't want to pay attention to you. Let me yeah. pretend like I'm doing work. Yeah, he's like, I take such good care of my daughter, I could take care of you too. And the boss sees it. The yeah, boss is like, no, come on, let's get off of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a creepy, creepy guy. Yeah. And you could see on Janet Lee's face the, I've had to do this many times. Yeah. I am going to pay attention to him the way he wants me to. Yeah. Uh, and hope that he gets out of the room soon. Right. And this is the MacGuffin, that he is paying for this house or whatever it is mm-hmm. with $40,000 in cash. Yeah. Who cares about, carries around $40,000 in cash? Well, I guess this Texas guy does. That's ridiculous, <laughs> particularly in 1960. Mm-hmm. I declare. And there's a lot of shock of, like, how much money this uh, really is. But see, no one's clean. Look, look what he said. Like, he's like, he says, I declare, uh, that's how I get to keep it because I don't. I don't declare. But I don't declare. Great point. Right. Yeah. Great point. So he is yeah. ripping off the government. Exactly. Um. <laughs> so so they're going to go off and have some drinks. Right. Oh, what a jerk! <laughs> I, but so I hate people like this. <laughs> like anyone who comes in uh, who I don't know who is aggressively like talking to me and right. with a big person like Uber extroverts always like as an introvert always push me. To, they, you know, they, I don't like it. They unsettle you. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do without question. Um, so now we got to get rid of this money. He said right. the, the boss says, I don't even want it in the office, go put it in a safe deposit box. And so she's just going to head home. Yeah. With the money. Yep. Right. She calls it out. I guess he must've noticed my wedding. ring. Right. And I love that. I guess he must've noticed my wedding ring, <laughs> which is her way of saying, you know, Oh, he, he didn't flirt with me. That's why he didn't flirt. That's why he didn't flirt with me. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Even today, uh, if I had to carry around forty thousand dollars in cash, I would be nervous. Of course, I mean that is a ton of money. Yep. Um, and this is where she says that she. Now, here's my question: So yeah. she's going to steal this money? She is. Has she already decided when she's saying I want to go home early because I have a headache? Uh, oh, good question. No, I don't think she has. Um, it's really interesting because we don't really see the decision. Well, she said she was talking about the headache when she walked in. So right. she's still consistent about the headache being an issue. It's true. And I think the headache is her like, I really enjoyed having this afternoon with this guy. Now I have to go back to work. I don't want to go off to work. I want to get the hell out of here. But we've also established the problem, which is that the the guy says, I can't marry you until I deal with my debts. Right. Here's $40,000 in cash. Yeah. You know, so this is, this is the solution to the problem. Again, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock is shall we say exploiting or using the production value of Janet Lee in a bra. Right, exactly. So now the, the envelope's been kind of 
ripped open a little bit to see how yep. much is in there. Well, and this is great storytelling, which is the camera moves in on the envelope, yep. which she did not take directly to the bank. Nope. And pans over to the suitcase saying she has made a decision. Right. Um, and generally stressed face lets you know that she's not. And, and her right. body movements, her sharp body movements let you know that she's not happy with this, but she's going to do it. And she, if she takes even a moment to think about it, she knows she won't do it. So she's trying to move quickly so she doesn't even think about it. Well, and because, of course, she shouldn't do this. Right. This is a terrible idea. Exactly. It's a bad plan. Even despite what's actually going to end up happening to her, yeah. this is not a plan that can work. Right. You can't take $40,000 and go to your boyfriend and get him out of his debt and have nobody catch you. Exactly. That doesn't, the life does not work that way. Nope. But it seems like a good enough plan to her. <laughs> um, what's really interesting about this movie is how much time it spends on just watching the details of behavior. Yeah. Of her going through, she's got her paperwork, she's got the money, she's packed her bag, mm-hmm. how she sort of, we're just watching stuff. Yeah. And we do this quite a bit in this film. Um, it's interesting because it's, you know, Hitchcock is not actually a fast paced filmmaker. He, you know, whether we talked about it in Vertigo, there's a lot in Vertigo of Jimmy Stewart driving around. Yes. There's a lot in Rear Window of Jimmy Stewart looking out the window. Well, I think that's the gift of his horror, Steve, as a director, is he shows you the mundane nature of these people doing the things that they're doing. Because you know what? Normal people do spend a lot of time. Some some people spend a lot of time driving around. Some people like, sure. do the mundane things in life and then also find time to do these other things to get them into horror well, situations. And what he gets is that it's about suspense. He's created this suspenseful situation yeah. and knows that you will watch the slow-paced thing in order to experience that. And then here is the world's worst coincidence, <laughs> which is sitting at a traffic light, <laughs> and who should walk by literally looking into her window but her boss. Oh. Who stops? Oh, oh, when she said she was going home because she had a headache. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that look could have saved her life yep. if things had gone a little bit differently. Well, and the horror music kicks in in that moment, too. Yeah. Again, the theme of the yeah. song of the of the movie, yeah. Yeah. We so have... now stress. So now she's like, oh, this guy could catch me. Now. Yep. This is the moment where she could turn around, return that money, put it in the bank, and disappear, right? Or, I mean, uh, and everything's fine. But she just is determined to do the things that she's doing. It's really quickly that we jump into this too, Steve, for a film. You know, other people might criticize this film nowadays and be like, wow, she just makes a decision and she goes this quickly? What what the hell? There's no exposition. But with Hitchcock, you went along with this because you knew he was going to fill in the blanks later. Well, and we what's so weird is we get quickly into a whole storyline that is going to be completely stopped mm-hmm. 40-something minutes into the film. Yep. You know, where this is when the... I mean, this structurally is one of the weirdest films ever made. Yeah. Because our main character ain't going to survive the movie. Well, it breaks a lot of rules, and yet it works. And uh, so she's asleep by the side of the road, and this uh, cop comes up. Right. Um, she's not a good criminal. Because as soon as she wakes up here, yeah, she is stressed out. Mm-hmm. She's exactly the kind of person. It's the fear in her face. Yeah. She thinks she's been caught. I don't know who this cop is, but I've seen him in so many things. I wish I knew his name. Oh. Um, he's definitely one of those faces. Yeah. I mean, she even tries to start the car to get away. Um, oh, she's a good person. She did. She knew she had to sleep. Listen. I've have you uh fallen I've I've been close I've definitely done the pullover oh man yeah oh yeah yeah, I've come close to yeah I mean oh yeah 
when I was younger, driving and oh yeah, I would fall asleep at times. It's kind of scary as hell. I've I have yeah. it's been a long, long time since I've been asleep or falling asleep behind a wheel, but it is one of the scariest experiences of your life. Oh yeah. If nothing will get your heart rate up more than suddenly going, oh, <laughs> on the road. Ah! <laughs> um, it's so, it's like she's such a bad criminal in this moment. Right. Like everything she is saying is making this guy be suspicious. Well, also, um, Hitchcock does a great job with the camera upping mm-hmm. the ante here in the stress by keeping it in close up. Yep. Right? So it makes it feel like you, you're experiencing what she's experiencing in that moment. Oh, you should never, never ask a policeman why do you yeah. want to see my license? Yeah. Um, I love the, by the way this little bit of physicality of I have to hide me taking the money out and all my papers out before I go and hand you my license. Right. With the cop right there looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she does everything wrong as a criminal. Mm-hmm. Take she checks out the license plate again. We have that classically good Hitchcock storytelling. Um. I think this is all on a set, by the way. That's a that's a, a process shot backdrop. Mm-hmm. Like that just looks like just a painting in the background here. <laughs> I mean, this is a cheap movie. So she just she just got off. Like he didn't say anything, nothing. Well, she hasn't committed any crime except yeah. that he's going to follow her. Right. Um and again the the music kicks up now again. Yep. Which is great. So pa- apparently, by the way, uh uh, I love these shots of the, in the mirror, mm. and I think that's also a process shot in the, through the rearview mirror. I don't quite know how they did it. It looks really cool. Um, apparently, uh, he offered uh, Bernard Herman to work for way less than his normal rate, and Herman didn't want to do it. Yeah, finally agreed, and they used a much smaller orchestra than they normally do. And then um, uh, Herman uh, uh, he heard the music and said, "Okay, I'll give you more money." <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. And the cop pulls um, off because the, the cop cop's going off. to Gorman. So we must be cool now. Must be safe. Yeah, totally. And immediately she goes and makes another choice to like just look more suspicious. <laughs> Which is let's go try to buy a, a used car. Let's switch out cars. Mm-hmm. But let me keep my license with my name and my face and my address on it. Well, and, and I mean, the way this whole thing is going to go down, it's just terrible. Yeah. Worst criminal ever. It's a hastily put together plan. True. And what it ultimately ends up leading to, it's even more of a, a shame. Well, except that her crime had nothing really to do with anything else nope. that happens in the movie. Um, Yeah, it's a strange... She's just trying to find a good license plate. I, I don't quite understand why, what the license plate. I mean, obviously, her new car will have a different license plate from her old car. Right. What is she looking for here? People are superstitious. Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. People are superstitious. About what, though? Oh, uh, the numbers, what they mean, the letters put together. Really? Yeah. Okay. People are strange about that. Oh. There's our friendly cop again. Yeah. Well, this is where you should just leave. Right. Like, because the whole point of switching cars doesn't really help you if the cop is watching you do it. Exactly. Just camping out there. And I love how he rolled up on her. He just found her. And now he's just watching. Right. Another guy who's in all sorts of stuff who, if I had notes, I would know his name. 
It's hard for me, John. It's hard. <laughs> so Big, she's just like, like, let me buy a car. Yeah. I like the moment, by the way, as we're watching this car salesman. He's doing his normal car salesman thing, mm-hmm. and then she starts, and he wants as to push her to buy a car. And as she pu- as she gets more and more aggressive about going fast, he starts to resist. Yeah. Well, of course, because this is really weird. He senses there's something wrong here. I mean, you've probably seen a lot. You've probably seen all there is to see when you. Work a car lot, I imagine. People trying to cheat and steal and trade in cars, do whatever, man. I'm sure you've seen it all. I just don't know how she plays it off here with the cop just like totally It's so bizarre. Yeah. By the way, the car dealer who says, that's the one I'd pick for you myself. (laughs) I I hate buying a car. Yeah. I just don't. It's like, like please don't make me go through all this stuff. Yeah. First time the customer ever high pressured the salesman. Oh, I think this guy's been on Star Trek. I think he's on an really? star, original Star Trek episode. Oh, I gotta look this up. Let's see who this guy is. Is it not the uh I don't know. He's yeah. definitely familiar. See, he knows something's wrong. Yeah, this is the moment he turns, like, let me get a pink slip and yeah. And, of course, she has brought all her papers. Yeah. Again, what is she thinking is going to happen? She's going to go drive to meet Sam Loomis, which yep. is the same name as the uh, Donald Pleasant's character in Halloween. It is. And and she's going to bring him the money, and then she, they're going to pay the debts. And what, do you, what does she think? She's got this new car. She's got all her, like, birth certificate or whatever, you know, things with her. What does she think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. By the way, when I have $40,000 in cash that's stolen in my purse, I usually bury it a little deeper. <laughs> I don't have the corner of the of the poorly sealed envelope just sticking out like that. Uh, yeah. Little notes from Steve's criminal past. This is things that you you know to do. Yeah. So this guy played he played Judge Kennesaw Mount Landis in 8 Men Out. Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. He's he's a big part of that's that. That's a good movie. I haven't yeah. seen that in a long time. I like that movie. Uh, let's see. Any other? You know, passed away in night. He was in Matt Houston for a couple episodes. For those of you who are old enough to remember Matt Houston, uh, I'm yeah. old enough. <laughs> Fair enough. It's so fun. This movie we spent, particularly because I have the music turned down, mm-hmm. is that you spend so much time watching the mechanics of her going and moving things around in her purse, right, and coming back out. Um, California Charlie, I love that. But uh, something's wrong here. This guy worked consistently for a number of years. Every year. He's been in tons of stuff. Wow, that's incredible. And that cop is still just standing there. Yep. Doesn't look suspicious at all. I don't understand why she's doing this. Like the cop is, it's like if I go, oh, I'm going to uh, shave my beard in order to pass to someone else. (laughs) And I go to a barber and sitting in the chair next to the barber is the cop I'm trying to escape. And I say, hey, shave my beard so this cop won't recognize me. (laughs) That plan doesn't work. (laughs) The cop is now pulled into the car dealership. Yeah. You look suspicious, lady. He is looking at your license plate. There's something wrong It has not worked. Well, I mean, the guy said, you know, uh, you can do whatever you want. If you're a woman, if you're a woman. You get, uh, when you set your mind to it, I guess you're going to do it anyway. 
So maybe she's just stubborn enough to believe that she's going to do it anyway. Oh, yeah, and she almost drove away without her suitcase. Yeah. Again. But I love that the cop is just watching her. It's like, what is Well, happening? and we're never going to deal with this cop again. Yeah. Because, so this is the, because this is what's weird is all of this tension that Hitchcock is so masterfully creating about yeah. her escape with the money and is she going to make it? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Well, yeah. It's not the movie. That's not what the movie is about. That's true. That's true. Then we have this whole sequence that's really interesting where she's hearing the voices in her head of all of what people would be saying. Mm-hmm. What is the cop saying? What is the... Uh, the car dealership guy saying right. that he paid seven hundred dollars in cash, and she's going to hear like what her boss says and what all these other people say, yeah. and and I'm assuming this is just her what's going on in her imagination. Yeah, when you have a long way to drive, you just kind of create these scenarios in your head sometimes, or have these exchanges of what you think is going to happen, and it clear. I mean. Can, Clearly, she's not, like you said, Steve, she's not a professional criminal. So she is like running, running down all the multiple scenarios that could happen. Well, and in fact, this is all the thing I think that actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, is that these, you know, they do call her sister and they are trying to find out where she went. You know, because yeah. we, we, we hear about the sister and, and all the worry. Do you think she's creating this whole thing? Or do you think this is stuff that's happened off camera? And this is Hitchcock's clever way of showing the scenes without showing the scenes. I I think it is both. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I think these the only way this works is that this is her imaginings in her head, right. but it is in fact giving us all the storytelling we need while really all we're seeing is a shot of her face. Yeah. Driving. Um and you know, if you're going to look at someone's face in a close up, well lit, Janet Lee's not a bad person to look at. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um <laughs> It is weird the things that actors have to do because she's sitting in a studio in a car with her hands on a wheel, just like look stressed. Yep. And I wonder if they're reading the lines off camera so that you can start like reacting a certain way. So much is happening for her in her eye. Like she's almost like enjoying it now. Yeah, there is somewhere like, well, because I think she has literally, I mean, everyone has had the desire at one point to destroy their own life. Like, Yep. Fuck it. I'm just going to, I'm not, I, you can't control me anymore. Right. I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think she is enjoying it. Um, again, Bernard Herman's music is killing it here and yep. man, her windshield wipers really don't, don't, you know, let's get those things going. Come on. Worst. But no, but she's constantly in these scenarios of danger. Yes. Before she's actually in the real scenario yeah. of danger. And it's to keep you unsettled as a viewer. Like, you're constantly, like, the light's too bright. All, I mean, everything. They're dealing with the cop. They're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, with the salesman. All of that is just to keep you just unsettled the whole time. You don't know what's going to happen. And he builds to it. When it happens, you're just like, oh, man. He did it. He really did it. What, one of the weird things thinking about this movie to me mm-hmm. is seeing it when it first came out. Because uh-huh. by the time I saw it, I knew who Norman Bates was. You know, right? There wasn't a surprise, right? Like I don't. I mean, do you remember when you first saw it? If you knew that there was no mom, that mom's dead. I did not know that. No, you didn't. No, I. I knew about did. Psycho and Norman Bates, but I didn't know that it was mom. Like I, that he had played as mom. I I did. Yeah, and so because you know when Hitchcock when they released the movie, he made it. There was a rule of. No one would be admitted to the theater after the movie started, right? So, because he didn't want anyone to, because it used to, people would walk into movies halfway all the time, which doesn't happen as much now, right? But he didn't want anyone to miss the beginning, 
Um, and the theater owners didn't want him to do it and, and ended up being such a great ad campaign that they loved it. Clever marketing. Yeah. So we've arrived at the Bates Motel. Yeah. One of the most classic locations in the history of Hollywood. Our friend Mike Kalinowski is a Norman Bates over at Universal Studios. Oh, is he? Yep. I knew he did the the like the stunt or the, I mean, the special show. effects. Yeah. Show, yes, but he also plays Norman Bates. Uh, and at Halloween Horror Night, oh yeah, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal, he will catch him playing Norman Bates every once in a while. He, he's he, a good he, Norman Bates. I totally. He's a scary dude. To me. And here's the uh, the uh, Psycho House, which you can still see on yep. your Universal tour. Just yes, you can. Ask for Babs. Yeah. Um. And here comes Anthony Perkins. Ask for Babs. Nice reference. Is that an Animal House reference? It's Animal House. Yeah. That's right. Um, Here's Anthony Perkins. He is so good in this movie. Yeah. And this is one of those roles where it made and destroyed him. Yeah. You know, this is. Yeah. He's so indelibly this character. And what he does so well, and particularly in this first scene, and, and in several other scenes, of the balance between sweet and charming mm -hmm. and creepy and increasingly creepy and disturbing right you know like if he didn't if he wasn't likable on some level i don't think he would be as terrifying no right exactly. you know well and it's good i mean and i'm not sure what kind of research or work anthony did to create this character but you see that it's like he is he oversharing he's trying to be too nice he's almost yep. and too nice in being too nice he oversells and in overselling it feels inauthentic that he's trying to hide something. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And again, all of her looks and glances, mm -hmm. she's lying about where she actually came from. That moment, yep. he's reaching for a key to one of the other cabins, right? and then with a glance back to her, switches her to cabin number one. Right. That is the first sign that this dude is a creep. Yeah. Well, I like that the uh, when you look at the newspaper where she has it, okay is visibly seen. Because things are not okay. Okay, here's one of the things that's weird about the movie to me. Yeah. So, because I didn't get this when I had first seen it, is that Fairvale, yeah. which is, uh, he just said we're 15 miles from Fairvale. Mm -hmm. That's where Sam, the guy she's going to visit is. All right. Is that she, and she just had a look of like, oh, am I that close? And he's like, yeah, you're that close. Right. And yet she still decides to, to stay here in the, in the motel. Yeah. Why? You're 15 miles away. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. She should have powered through the 15 miles to 15 get 15 miles? Well, I guess, you know. Sometimes you're just tired of the whole day. Maybe she just wanted to sleep. And then tomorrow, 15 miles, she can make that in no time. She just wants to sleep tonight and chill out. I love Anthony, a lot of stress. I love his uh, Norman Bates' awkwardness about gesturing to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, oh, that's over there. She's like, yeah, it's the bathroom. Right. But he doesn't really want to say it. Interesting shot by like look at he's off to the right and there's all that space there, the distance where she has the mirror in that same empty space. Right. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. When I mean, in general, when a dude in the middle of nowhere asks you to come up to the house for sandwiches and milk, yeah, you say no. Do you think this whole time Norman is planning he's going to kill her? Well, this is the, like, there's a whole explanation of his psychosis at the end of the movie. Oh, right, yeah. Which is that when he becomes sexually aroused by her, that is when the mother character dominates his personality. Right. And, I mean, honestly, 
the, you know, we'll get to it. But the whole psychiatrist coming in at the end of the movie, I can pretty much do without. Yeah, no, it's a little yeah, weird. It's a it's a long, long monologue explaining everything. Well, yeah, and maybe he. The st- I'm sure the studio made him put that in there. I don't. I don't know. Um, and well, it's funny because after this movie, you get all these um killers who don't need explanations. Yes, yeah. you know, you don't need an explanation of why Jason or you know. Right. Um, any Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Yep. Why they're doing? It, they're just crazy people. Yep. Um. She's working really hard to figure out where do I hide my forty thousand dollars that I've had hanging out of my purse right this whole time. As if people are going to walk in and just know she has this money. Um. Ah. Yes. I found the perfect hiding place. <laughs> no one will ever suspect that I've put it inside nope. a newspaper. That's very smart. Fiendishly clever. She- yeah, she clearly hadn't seen It's a Wonderful Life, where money disappears in a newspaper, so that's a big mistake on her end. Oh, that's funny. Oh, Uncle Billy. Oh, Uncle Billy, you buffoon. <laughs> now I'm picturing the movie in which Uncle Billy shows up at the Bates Motel Ooh. with $8,000 in cash. <laughs> now, what do you think she hears? Like, is this really happening? Once again, is this really... I think I think oh. they're saying that the 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 movie is he, he talks in her voice. What are you thinking? Wow. What? Whoa. Whoa. It just occurred to me. Yes. What if psycho never actually happened? What do you mean? I mean like remember she was complaining about her headaches. Maybe this is all a f- feverish fantasy and she's still asleep on the side of the road. This is all a dream. I'll do you one better. Oh! At the end of the movie, we have Norman Bates, and we're hearing the voices in his head yes. while he sits and smiling. Yeah. It could also just be his fevered dream. Ooh. But I don't think any of that's true. I think no. this is just what it is. Yeah. Well, hearing the voices, how could he, he, she hear the voice so distinctly from that house all the way down to where she is that's in the motel? Fair point. Well- you know, dead mother's voices really carry in yeah. cold, rainy nights. Well, listen, if you don't have a lot of money, you got to be inventive on in how you're going to show scenes. I can't shoot the scene. Okay, so what, what can I do? I can record voiceover yeah. of the scene occurring. People will get the gist of the scene, and you still get characters introduced. It's it's smart filmmaking. Um, I like that he corrected himself. Mother, my mother. Instead of because he knows he calls her mother. Oh my god, mother! But he's like my mother. Does, you know? does Norman Bates talk about his mother all the time? Probably. And nobody picks up on the fact that mom's dead. Like, who's, just who's the nobody? Well, he doesn't I mean, go into town a lot, right? But and I guess the people coming through his motel aren't talking to the people in town. No, and I think he's only talking to her because he finds her attractive. Sure, and we know that he. We find out later that he's killed two other women yes. before this. Yeah. Yeah, his. It's really interesting the barrier between cute, nervous, and creepy nervous. Yeah, and Anthony Perkins walks it mm-hmm. very carefully and goes over it at the right moment. Yeah, at this moment, she thinks he's cute, nervous. Right. She will think something very different pretty darn soon. Well, she's a city girl. He's a country boy. She thinks <laughs> she has all the advantage. I th- I really wonder. You know, movies like Psycho, movies like Deliverance that we did before, oh, yeah, yeah. movies like Halloween that we did, I think they, these movies shatter certain safe places. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 
whether or not we were ever safe or how safe things are is a different conversation. But I think, sure. you know, after seeing Psycho, woman won't go and have a sandwich and milk with a strange man in a motel. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that shot of the, was it an eagle or some kind or something like that? Well, because he is a uh, a taxidermy specialist. Right. Um, but it also gives you that vibe, an eagle is a predator. He is a predator. Well, there's, there's all this kind of subtle of like because her name is Marion Crane. Right, Crane. There's all right. this bird reference. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's like a bird. Yep. Did he bring a sandwich for himself? I don't know. Does he ever eat a sandwich? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and honest, it doesn't look like it's a sandwich because he just brought her some bread and she's spreading things on it. <laughs> Listen, if I say I'm going to bring you a sandwich, I will make the sandwich. Yes. Well, but I can't do that. Why can't he stuff dogs and cats? Uh... I don't know. What do you think? I well, what I wonder is because he tried to stuff his mom. He didn't do a very good job. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like he. Yeah, it's a. The, I mean, I guess that he's. You know, here's a better question. Because one of the early signs of you know sadism yeah. is. Uh, Attacking animals, hurting animals. Right, of course, yes. And so what I wonder now, looking around these rooms, oh, how did he kill all these? Right. Like, did he kill them all? Are these early signs of his craziness? Right. You know? Um, and I wonder what happened with cats and dogs. Maybe he did torture cats and dogs and he got in trouble with mm-hmm. mother. Sure. You know? Certainly possible. But I also think birds are an important illusion because of flying away. Mm, right, which is what she's doing, but right? Marion Crane's doing, but also him, like his desire to stop them from flying away, to stuff them, sure. kill them, and stuff them. That's his thing. Well, and we know at one point he killed his wife and her, his mother and her lover. Right, that's what happened ten years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. and you makes you wonder, like, were they going to leave him? Maybe they were about to. Maybe this man came into their lives and went, "Hey, your son is a psychopath." Right. You had to do something about him, and yeah. that's his reason for why he killed them back then. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and you're right. We are talking about this running away theme mm-hmm. in this scene. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, that all... statement. We're all yeah, yeah. We're on our private traps. This is where you're going. Like the dude I'm having a sandwich with. Yeah, is starting to freak me out. <laughs> But no, if you're watching as a fan, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, because we don't know he's evil yet. We don't Norman. We don't know any of this as you're watching the movie yeah. for the first time. Well, this is what I really wonder about 1960 is like, yeah. what did you know? Yeah. You know, you knew the name was Psycho. You knew there was, you know, it was a horror film from Hitchcock. Right. But beyond that, I don't know if you know anything. That's a good point. And what we think this movie is about is this woman running with $40,000. Right. Which it's not. Now, the way the frame, yeah, the, it's just great. The way they we're in these those. low angles, yep. with those birds really lit right above him, yep. Um, he looks creepier, even creepier in those shots. And, and 
and we i think we do feel for this guy with this horrible mother at this mm-hmm. moment if you don't know what's going on well we don't know how horrible the mother is we only have his yeah. word to take for it and he was unstable guy right he's an unreliable narrator well of course yeah but do we do we think of him as unreliable at this point no no of course not no yeah Yeah. And now he's telling the whole story. Yeah. So what? You, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No. I was going to ask: Have you stayed at a hotel, a motel like this? Oh, sure. Yeah, I was. There was one. I Karen and I stayed at in South Dakota, mm-hmm. and it was like twelve bucks a night. Yeah, and it was like this. <laughs> you know, rickety little tiny rooms. Yep. And there was a moment I remember there where, where suddenly, because we didn't have any money and it was being cheap. And right. a certain moment in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, we went, hey, this is creepy. <laughs> Why don't you go away? It's that same thing of like they're both trapped and they're both right. escaping. Right. What's interesting too is that this is this conversation is the moment where theoretically she is deciding to go back. Yes. I did a crazy thing. I should go back. Her fire would go out. Yeah. Even if you hate them. If you so let's examine that line. <laughs> yeah, if sure. you love someone, you don't do that to them even if you hate them. Right. If you love someone, even if you hate them. That is an interesting line. Yeah. But he's way more sharing yeah. than he needs to be. You know what I'm saying? And poor Marion is just like kind of navigating the situation. Again, great himself. framing, by the way, with him and that bird in the background. Oh, yeah. And you could see in Janet Lee's reaction now that's like, oh, this guy's a little intense here. <laughs> Put her in some place. Again, Anthony Perks is great. Yeah. Ooh, that's a harsh line, man. So he's talking from personal experience. Yep. I think that when he was a kid, Mm -hmm. they put him away. Yep. I'm going to stick with this theory that the man that the mom was with wanted to put him away. Again. Wanted to put him away again. again. Yeah. It's harmless as one of those stuffed birds. That's right. Nice illusion. Yeah, I think this moment she's become scared. Yep. Oh, see how he describes her as a chicken. He clucks their tongues and shakes their heads. That is a bird. Those are bird movements. Yeah. He's so angry. Yeah. But then he comes back down on that high. Have you ever been where you just found yourself in a really weird conversation with a total stranger and you didn't like that was intense? Yes. That is, I, this is a tough thing. Happens all the time. Uh, you know, in this business over the last few years, fans will corner you and they'll like, or followers or, you know, people who respect your work. Oh, sure. Well, and they think they have a relationship. With oh, you yeah. They'll they're, corner their you. Their voices in your head all the time. And have these really interesting, intense conversations. You're just like sitting going, yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay. And you're trying to just be respectful, but you're also trying to tell them like, Dude, you are like bringing me into your world way too powerfully. Like, yeah. I'm good. I don't need to be in this much. There, there, there was a woman who uh, 
I got into a parenting conversation. We met at a kid's birthday party. Yeah. And she was in a vulnerable place and I gave her some thoughts. Right. That and then she was crying and hugging and I and then I've seen her since and every time I see her she's just like I need to talk to you. I need to I'm like <laughs> and she's she's a nice lady but it's a, yeah. it's a little rough. Yeah. And here's the decision. She needs to go back before it's too late for me. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost ashamed of what, how it went down. That he he thought he could have done it better, you know. What do you mean? I had this conversation with her. You can tell by the end because she chooses to go back to her hotel room that he's like, "Oh, I messed this conversation up. I should have done better with this conversation." And blah blah blah. But what do you think he wanted? Oh, I think he wanted to keep her there, but yeah. then eventually she hits her wall and she has to go. But now look at the swagger. The swagger yeah. now comes out of the predator. Right at this point, yep. like the smirk, the the confident gum chewing. Well, this is the He's thing. He's no longer the meek guy. See, this is why I think that psychiatrist statement at the end of the movie, yeah, which says that oh, the mother personality becomes dominant, he's split personality, all that stuff. I think that makes the character less interesting. Ah, yeah. Like this transition that we've seen, where he went from being timid to this swagger, yeah, that you describe. Like, I think it's more interesting if he uses the mother personality to do, but he, you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. the poor Norman Bates being, you know, destroyed by the powerful mother personality. It's right. more like it's a show. Yep. I like that he stood there and thought about it, and then, and then he had the smirk come across his face, yeah. and so, and then committed to it. And again, that purient objectification. Yes. And it, uh, along with vulnerability and horror that yeah. Hitchcock. Um, does very powerfully. He does, but he also, you know, now looking back on this, there's a lot of our fans commented on, or a few of our fans commented on how, like, how he Hitchcock treated his women, his female actresses. It's evident in the movies he directed and how he puts the male protagonists in certain situations. Yeah. Him ogling Janet Lee's body through a hole. Oh, look at that. That's such a great movie, the camera. You know it's on. Oh, that house in the darkness. No, it's a great set. Who designed this, do you know? I don't. If only I'd done some research. <laughs> well, it's just so iconic. The way I mean, I know this is his TV crew. Yeah. I know that this is shot at uh it's shot at Universal but still distributed by Paramount. But okay. this is by the way why he moved to Universal after this because um it made so much money and it made so much money through Universal that yeah. the, he he ended up being a huge, huge shareholder, like owned, I don't remember, some high percentage of the total ownership of the wow. company Universal, yeah, wow. because of this movie. Anthony Parkins. I think this is the, was the number one black and white film of all time. Wow. I did something like that. It's really big. Uh, she's doing a little math. Uh, trying to figure out how much she owes. It's not going to matter. They're going to come for her. Right? They're going to arrest her and find her and whatever. In real life, I mean. So here's one thing I did see. Yeah. Is uh, what's about to happen. She's torn up her little math and she's yeah. going to throw it in the toilet. Um, uh, I think originally in the script she burnt it. But uh, oh. this one, this is the first, my understanding is this is the first showing of a pu flushing toilet <laughs> in the history of American film. What? Because it was against the code. You could wow. not show a toilet flush. That's hilarious. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You could hear it. And now, just like that, 
We're in the iconic scene. Yeah, we've gotten there. Can I say one thing about this that I think yeah, is crazy? Please. Do you ever think about? Do you ever get into a shower and turn it on in your face? No, no, because it could be freezing cold. Exactly. There's, no one does that. I always check it first. Yes, you check the temperature and then, then you get, I in. get in. Right. But yes, this is among the most important and famous scenes in the history of film. Yeah, and I think it's always ranked as one of the scariest scenes of all time. And mm-hmm. uh, it was shot. I know it took. A, I think it's like a week, and it's like seventy different setups. And very complicated. Um, she, you know, Janet Lee was in the shower oh. all the time. Here it comes. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, that is a creepy shot. Right? And so well framed. She's yeah. small in the shot. She's to the corner. Well, and the fact that they keep uh, the character in silhouette here yeah. is amazing. So you don't know what's happening. I think it's like 60 cuts or 70 cuts. Oh. And she's fighting back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, props to Hitchcock, who, who does not show any nudity of her, kept, keeps it like a, you know, what do you call it, like a, uh, out of focus. But, like, the screams and the sound. It is a brutal. And we got to say, the Bernard Herrmann score here, oh. Hitchcock didn't want it scored. Right. He did it against Hitchcock's orders. Hitchcock right. said, no, there should be no score. Oh. And Bernard Herrmann scored it anyway, and Hitchcock went, you're right. Yeah. Maybe that's where he offered him more money. This shot of her sliding down is yeah. just so brutal. Like, just the thought. Like, I, if I hadn't taken the money, I wouldn't be here. If I hadn't done, like, there's so much about this situation I could have avoided, and here I am, dead. Every shot is just so well composed. Yeah. There's some good shower rings, too. I got um, uh, it is Bosco chocolate syrup for the blood. Oh, nice. Because that looked good on black and white film. Right. Um, and I mean, that, it, literally running out. Yeah, and the and then this this is a one of the great dissolves. Yeah, going from here to her eye. Yeah, and she had to stay unblinking for a long time. Um, it's not not easy to do. Um, it is an iconic scene, and the thing is, is part of what makes it. I always think it's people don't think about setup as much. It's like. Yeah is that if you hadn't been so invested in this character for the last, you know, 40-something minutes, yeah. you wouldn't have just been completely shocked yes. by the scene. Yep. Like, what? what is the movie? Right. You know, what? Right. what's the movie? What's What happened to the money and mm-hmm. to the boyfriend? And, she? you know, it's all over. Everything we've been invested in is now yeah. over. It's such an unusual thing to do with a lead actor or actress in the movie or protagonist in the movie. Camera pulls off her to show us the money? Yeah. And then who are we going to see again? Oh, it's right. We hear, we hear, oh, God, mother, blood, blood. So at this point, I yeah. think you as the audience, because you saw the silhouette of a yeah, woman, right. you go, oh, mom killed her. Yeah. And here comes Anthony, Anthony Perkin. Here comes Norman Bates, and he's going to see it. Yeah. And again, great reaction. Yeah, the hand over the mouth thing is fantastic, and the fallen bird. Yep, in the in the picture frame. I mean, he immediately goes into damage control mode. Well, and this is what I think. You know what we could say because I was saying, you know, there's the moment where he sort of changes after she walks out that we were talking about before. Yeah, is maybe that was the moment of mother taking over. Oh yeah, and now we're back to Norman. Who doesn't know that, you know, she's been murdered. Right. And his panic. 
And again, the movie is really interested in showing you the mechanics. Yep. Because now we're going to spend a really long time watching how he figures out what to do with a bloody, you know, body in mm-hmm. cabin number one at his motel. Turns off the no vacancy sign. And this is the weird thing about uh, this film is the pace is actually fairly slow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because we're going to spend a long time watching him clean up. (laughs) Once again, the mundane nature of Hitchcock. Yeah. Showing these mundane tasks that people have to do, but then how they confront the horror. I mean, how many times have I had to clean up a body in the bathroom? Um. It's funny, I just realized that that's what Thelma Ritter says. Where did she murder the person in rear window? The bathtub. Oh, yeah. And that is where we are because that's the easiest place to clean up. Hmm. Um, it's funny. It's also like watching Janet Lee pack Yeah. in that other scene is that we're going to spend a lot of time. Uh, just that, that, that arm going through there is just a great. Yeah. With the little trail of chocolate syrup blood, you know. <laughs> It was funny thinking about this. Today, this doesn't work at all. No. You can't clean. Oh, my you, God, no. You got DNA evidence here. You can't clean things up that easily. Right. I just don't know what he's trying to find. Like, people are going to smell the water. Like, cause you think he's, like no one's going to come looking for it. That's the lunacy of it all. Well, I don't know. I think Norman Bates is a better criminal than uh, M- Marion Crane is. No, well, sure. He's got a smoother act. That's a given. And again, in 1960, the teasing of the nudity here is pretty, pretty uh, daring. Yeah. He's going to wrap her up. Just watching him slowly clean himself up. Oh, that'll do it. Raising all the DNA, right? Whatever that means. I know that some of this is based on the Ed Gein yeah. uh, serial killer. Well, that's one of the other things about this movie. I think this movie creates the serial killer slasher genre. Okay. You know, like this is our fascination with this idea, a person who has no compunction about taking life. Yeah. You know, this is where it comes from. Yeah, just a quick wipe down. No problem. <laughs> what I think is even crazier is, by the way, his decision of like how to get rid of the car and the body that yeah. I'm just going to push it into a bog yeah. and it's just going to sink. <laughs> I mean, it does work out for him, but. Yeah, still makes no sense. Do you remember, by the way, when you first saw this movie? Psycho? Yeah. Oof, man. Maybe 20 years ago, maybe 10 years ago on TCM. Every year. I love this shot, by the way, the way no, he's framed him. on the there left. What's that? Oh, just the way he's framed on the left side. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the beginning of that shot just looks great. So you think on TCM I see 10 like or 15 years ago? Once every two years, uh, Psycho. Mm. Yeah. What is it, like an, an an annual tradition on TCM? Not really an annual tradition, but it's show up on TCM. So like, if it shows up, I will save it and then find the time to watch it from beginning to end. I think I first saw it in my 20s. Okay. 
and I think I rented it. Um, and it was one of those weird ones where I just, I, I knew all the stuff, but I had no idea what to expect. You know what I mean? Where it's yep. like, I knew that he, what, you know, that it was the mother and I knew that stuff. And I so you knew and the I, twist already go walking in. Totally. Okay. Totally knew the twist. Okay. And I knew what I didn't know was the Janet Lee, Marion Crane stealing the money story. Right. Right. I had seen the shower scene already before I saw the movie, mm-hmm. you know, because it plays in so many things. And I knew the music. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know, I and I didn't know about uh, Janet Lee's sister and the boyfriend. I didn't right. know any of that stuff. So I knew the twists. Right. You know? Well, Vera Miles was supposed to, right? Wasn't she? She was supposed to be play? Vertigo, yeah. yeah. She was supposed to play Kim Novak's part. Yeah. Which, by the way, I can't imagine anyone other than Kim Novak. No. I mean, Vera Miles is fine. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Vera gets the job done. But if you want it done really yeah, th- well, this is so intense. The carrying the naked body wrapped in clear plastic, yeah, into the back of a, a, a trunk of a car. Well, thank God nobody was up around the complex or nobody was staying there. Well, he said that this motel's in the middle of nowhere now because they. And I'm assuming that what that means is he's on Route 66, right? And they built the 10 freeway. I don't know what year they built the 10 freeway. It must have been around the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and that did kill all the businesses off on Route 66. Well, that's a good point. So he's packing her things for her. Why do you, what do you think, what, do you, what is he trying to do here? What's the whole point of Well, it? he's got to get rid of every piece of evidence that she was ever here. But look, at uh, it's just so extra long. Do you need it? You were saying that you don't think well, they need it. Well, I'm just saying that it, the amount of time Hitchcock spends on this sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's like eight minutes of watching him you know clean up blood and pack up her things and grab her shoes right and look through the you know the room and find all the stuff it's a long and and it really i mean this is honestly a sign of hitchcock and bernard herman's genius yeah that we can sustain this for this long a period of time yeah make it suspenseful but we we keep waiting for him to flip yeah but i also go like well what is the suspense like what are we feeling now you know what i mean like because we were suspenseful about, oh no, are these characters going to get caught for yeah. stealing this money? Yeah. Okay, that character is dead, and now I guess we're suspenseful of. You know, it's funny. Hitchcock said a thing. I remember in the Truffaut book mm-hmm. that he said, "What's really interesting is how fast our allegiances can switch." Oh yeah, is that here we are? We're with Janet Lee, and now we're with this other person. And we're worried, and we don't want him to get caught with Janet Lee's body. Right. Like, we were on Janet, Team Ma- Marion Crane. Right. And now we're just suddenly on Team Norman Bates. Yeah. You know, that is weird. Because we don't know the twist. Well, even if you do, though. I but mean, there are- He's methodically working through this whole thing. Yeah. So you can't really disrespect it. Well, and you, oh, and he's finally spotted. Oh. Is he going to open up that newspaper? No, oh. doesn't oh. care about it at oh. all. Well, and I guess we're going, he's protecting his mother, who's yeah. a killer. That's what we're thinking. Right. I I really think whenever we watch anyone in a process, we're going to end up on their side. Oh, yeah. Even when they're doing, I mean, like Hannibal Lecter is the perfect example where when he does the escape, you're, and he's literally killing innocent people. Yeah. You're totally with him. You're with it, yeah. You're excited about, isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. Which is messed up. True. Human beings have a propensity to switch sides if it serves their purpose. Yeah. I Yeah. Like right now, I'm on Team Roca. I, yeah. Well, I'm pro-outlaw. But as soon you. as you walk out the door, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know where you're going to be. You yeah. could be pro-team pro, uh, pro team action. 
protein Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy. I don't know. God I don't know who those people are. <laughs> so love, he knows ex- he knows everything to do. Yeah, every methodical step he needs to know he does. I mean, how do you know that a you know a swampy bog yeah. is going to suck this whole car in? Yeah. By the way, we're about to get to one of my favorite moments in the movie. A very small but awesome moment. I love how strong Anthony yeah. Perkins is. Also pushes that car in, and we see it go in, and it's going to start to sink. <laughs> And it's sinking. We hear the boop, and it's boop. sinking. Got some gurgling sounds. He's eating something. Yeah. And then it's gonna stop. Oh wow. Well, is it stopped? Well, it keeps somehow descending. There, there it stopped. Oh wow. And we go. Oh no, the car is not gonna sink. Right. And there's a moment of uh oh, my plan's not gonna work. <laughs> and then. Okay, now it's gonna go. Yeah, now it's gonna go. But so, and again, this is really slow. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Let's see. It's uh, we're. I think it's been t- ten minutes since the murder. Oh wow, almost. And we've been just cleaning up and getting rid of the car. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of like, what's this movie about? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, we're seeing someone write a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, to and it's on Sam Loomis stationery. Yep. And we're now with Sam Loomis at his weird hardware store in Fairvale or wherever we are. Um, and this is the boyfriend? Yes. And we're like, oh, yeah, the boyfriend. Yeah. We're just some woman who's talking about killing insects and wow, will it be painless or not? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of commenting on what we see before. And here outside the door, we have Vera Miles. Yep. Hmm. Uh, Marion Crane, is that what you said, Marion Crane? Yeah, this is her sister. Yeah, Marion Crane's sister. Lila or something like that? Isla. Yeah, I, oh, maybe it was Isla. Isla? Oh, um, Sham? Is, and Vera Miles, did we last see her in search, Searchers? Yeah. She's Searchers, right? Yep. Lila. Yeah. Um. There's this moment of like, is she here? Of course not. Right, right. She was like 15 miles away. I just keep going oh, back to like, yeah. why didn't she just come all the way here? Ah, Martin Balsam. I love Martin Balsam. It's our third movie, I think, with Martin Balsam. Mm-hmm. All the President's Men and yes. 12 Angry Men we've done with him. Yeah. He's a great actor. Maybe one day we'll do The Verdict. He's the judge in The Verdict. Oh, that's right. We, you and I both love The Verdict. Yes. So anytime. We've got to do that one. Um, You were just talking about that on... Top ten, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that came up. Is he? No, no, wait. He's not the judge. He's part of the. Ch- is he part of the church group? Maybe I don't remember. He's got to be in it. I know. He's I know Jack it. Warden is the buddy. Oh, oh, of course, Jack Warden. I watched the verdict again a couple of years ago. So good. Yeah. Let me see here. So Balsam is the uh, private eye. Yep. And th- what's so interesting about this? He seems, because he was hired because they don't want to get Marion Crane in trouble. Right. Because they don't want to go to the police, which I think is a really interesting choice, is that had she turned around and turned back, yeah, I think people wanted to forgive her. Oh, sure. She would have been okay. Yeah, because he isn't really necessarily a terrible person at this point. He's not a terrible person. No. I think he's a good guy. Yeah. 
Um, and what's interesting is that, okay, the movie is this char- movie about this woman who's stolen this money yeah. so she can have a life with the man that she loves. And then suddenly that story gets completely cut short in the shower. Yeah. And now what's going to happen is the movie is going to become this story about this private eye <laughs> because it's going to be his story. Yeah. Um, so she thinks he's did it. She thinks that Sam's involved. Sam's involved. Yeah. I think so at this moment. Yeah. Cause she said like, they just want the money back. They won't even ask questions. Um, but pretty quickly they they move away from that idea. Yeah. Yeah, she's trying to save yeah. her sister. And I do wonder about the sister's relationship. Yeah. Because I, I get the sense that Marion has jumped into situations in the past. Well, yes, and I think that's the situation. She's the good girl, the good sister. She's always cleaning up for the bad. Yeah, sister. more responsible. Right, right. And that's why you cast Vera Miles in this role, because that's what Vera radiates as an actress. Whereas Janet Lee was a little more unstable, and you could tell in the characterization yeah. she had for this film. And this, this private eyes figured out the basic thing, is that the boyfriend's here, yep. she's going to be here. Yeah, eventually. And so he's going to go off and knock on every hotel in the area. Yeah. Um, and not find her, and not find her, until finally he moves a little bit out of town yeah. and ends up at the Bates Motel. Big mistake. I like that he's eating candy. I think that was Anthony Perkins' idea. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. He's a great looking young, oh yeah, interesting guy. Um and again, you know what? So if Marion Crane is the world's worst criminal, yeah, he doesn't do well here. No. <laughs> he he's better than she is, but, <laughs> but not barely. by that much. Yeah, barely. 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. Have you watched the Bates Motel show? No, not yet. I heard it was good. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, what, Freddie Highmore and Vera Farmiga? I think yeah. it's on four seasons. Like in this last season, Vera Farmiga is not on it as much because he's. this is where he starts to turn into his mom. Apparently this whole season and starts to kill and do the things that he does. So Freddie Highmore is playing Farmiga playing the mom. So he's like, you know, kind of having to copy what she did with the character. So he says, you know, hey, he's being very like, sure, you can come look at the uh, rooms. I'm going to go change the linens. Yeah. Because uh, he wants to show him that there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're in here. And, and of course, um, Aubergast, what's his name? Something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Martin Balsam. Aubergast. Aubergast. Yeah. Uh, he. He is going to sh- show him the photo. Yep. And I think it's a very good reaction from Norman Bates. Yeah. Um, he enjoys the banter, though. Yeah. And he enjoys playing stupid when he needs to. But he's always in control of any re- interaction he's having verbally. Bates? Yes. I, I don't know. Oh, I don't think so because there's that nervousness. No, but it's an act. Because that's how he's. That's you think the nervousness is an act. Oh, it's an absolute. Well, no, act. but this goes back to the thing I was saying earlier. Yeah. So I. So there's the image where he knows he's a killer. Yes. In which case, I would agree the nervousness is an act because we see that moment after he's nervous talking with Marion Crane. Right. Where he then steps out and he kind of brings all that together. Yeah. But if he doesn't know he's the killer, then he doesn't have anything. I guess he's. Then he's covering up for his mom is the murderer. And then I go, is the nervousness an act? Right. I hear you, but I think it is. Well, that's why I kind of go, I kind of wish it was your way. Yeah. I would like that 
better. I think, it's because I think the psychological explanation at the end is sort of silly. Right. Yeah. Well, I think he puts this act on for everybody because this is how he's he lures people in. Right. By playing the sweet, innocent, the sweet, nice yeah. guy, people get lured in. But then, And then when he has to do what he has to do, he just goes into the mode that he has to be in to do it. Well, and here, by the way, I think he's already been caught in his first lie because he said no one's been here for weeks. And then he just mentioned... Uh, couple that was there and yeah. now he's being forced to show the books and yeah. we're going to go find he's got a sample of her handwriting oh yeah. and he's looking and we can see the we're nervousness really i love this shot by the way yeah he's leaning in that's just a cool super cool weird angle as yeah. he leans into this under his chin close up he's like a bird yeah totally like a bird like that yeah uh, who we already know don't eat like a bird nope yeah and now, now you see the nervousness because you yeah. showed him the picture. You said you didn't recognize her. And now he's gonna. Oh yeah, no. Now I now I remember her. Yeah. Looks at it again and remembers her. Yeah, and then quickly so remembers it. Yeah, her hair was all wet because last time you saw her, she was in the shower. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Um, and now he's got to reconstruct a new story, but he's and he's walking him into it. Like this yeah. is what a PI does or a cop does; they get you to talk about it like they're your buddy, and then they capture with the whole conversation. Well, and what's funny is I think he's far less suspicious than he should be, Arbogast, mm. because this guy. I mean, it's like Marion talking to the cop. You yeah. know, like the cop. You know, clearly this is a person who is lying and feeling guilty. Yes, and Arbogast is watching it, and yet he leaves and kind of goes. Uh, maybe I'll go back and check, but not like something was really weird was yeah, going on. Right. He sensed something was wrong, but he didn't know what it was exactly. Yeah. Oh, now you're starting oh, to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Balsam's great. <laughs> you know, there's certain people who had really good careers. Yeah. But you wish you could have seen them do more. Yeah. Yeah, I bet there were ge gears Martin Balsam had that like were never explored. Oh yeah, because no one would ever cast him in that thing. Good point. You know, I think Twelve Angry Men is still my favorite performance of his of Martin Balsam's. Yeah, I think you might be right because there's so much to it. Yeah, you know, you could see all the subtleties within the performance. Yeah, I like what he was that. Oh come on, he's good at that stuff. You haven't seen uh uh. Uh, seven days in May, right? I have not seen that one. Yeah, he's in that too. Oh, uh, and really good. Was he Secretary of State or something? He is. Uh, he's like the the president's kind of right hand man. But oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a really good movie. I'd like to do sometime. I'm your right hand man <laughs> for the Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are literally on my right, right? That's right. So I am. I am. <laughs> this is a great back and forth between them, though, because it's it's a chess match. Between both of them. And I think that's, he feels almost like validated having this back and forth with Arbogast because he feels like this is how good I've gotten to it now that I can do it for a guy like this and and, uh, and get accepted for it. Well, now he's, he's uh, Bates has said, yeah, I'll take you to all the cabins. Yeah. And he walks to cabin number one and changes his mind. This is some very suspicious stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. And Balsam looks up. Sees the figure. House. Sees the silhouette. He's just walking him through it. Like, Balsam thinks he has the upper hand the whole time. 
he thinks he's laying the groundwork. He's slowly working him over, being a friend. Everything's just to get the information, and then he's going to nail this guy. Whereas Perkins is smart because he is he is crazy, yeah, but he's crazy smart, you know. Well, and and but but this lie, he's just this is why I go like the lie that he has is so bad. Yeah, you know, because he just said there's nobody. I don't live with anyone. There's no one in my house. Right. But I saw a figure. Oh, you mean my mother? And it's like, well, that is a terrible lie. Yeah. And particularly when you're talking to the private investigator and your mother is actually dead. Right. You know, this is not a good, he's not such a good criminal. Yeah. She might have fooled me, but she didn't fool my mother. Right. It's another slip. She's confined. And I like the confined. The confined means I buried his mother back down inside me until I'm ready to bring her back out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And later on, I will put her in the fruit cellar. Yeah. My house does not have a fruit cellar. No. How much fruit does one need to enough, put in the cellar? Enough to fill a cellar, I imagine. I suppose. Something lasts for a week, I probably. Right? Well, in the cellar, it would last longer. There's school oh, yeah? in there. Yeah. Point. That's why you have a fruit cellar. Yeah. It's amazing things you learn on the top, on the uh, cinephile show. Yeah, absolutely, and that is the music changes, and again that change in expression on uh, Norman Bates's face. Yeah. That's listen. I like that he's in black. That yep. reference of mourning. And then the but smile, like that smile, yeah. that smile. Oh, so see what I'm saying? He thinks. He's got him where he wants him. Well, this is why I go back to this idea of is he two people or is he one person who knows mm. what he's doing? It's a good question. Or maybe in that moment he just became mom. That's what he just switched to the mom person. Maybe, yeah. <gasps> Without the annoying voice. So we're calling Fairville 2038. Yeah. Um, Loomis. So, so who hired him? Uh, good question. I because don't it's, I think that the when he came into the store, mm-hmm. it didn't seem like he was working for Lila, right? And yet, why is he calling now to report to them when, when I'm assuming it was the real estate guy who needs the forty thousand yeah. dollars back? That's yeah. who hired him. Good point. It was a mess for it. Yeah. So he's given them all the information, mm-hmm. which is important mm-hmm. because they're going to need that soon, right? Um. And now is when he kind of says, there was one more piece of information I want to get. There's the mom, and she might have seen him. And this is this is key, because now he's going to head back into the house. Yeah. Yeah, let's go back to the Bates Motel. Yeah, it doesn't seem like dangerous at all. No. Never trust them when they say I'll be back. <laughs> well, if it's Arnold in T2, you can trust him. Yeah, I guess. But if it's Arnold in T1, you cannot. <laughs> and if it's Arnold in every other movie, it's just, you know, something he had to say. All right, we're back at the motel. Looks to be like morning, early morning, would you say? I think this is evening. I I don't know. I think it's dusk? I don't know, because it seemed like... It was daytime. He didn't wait. He didn't spend a whole night and is then going back in the morning. That no. Well, maybe. I don't know, but he's wearing the same clothes. I think it's that night. I think it was, it's just, this is, uh, you think it's just dusk. the timing? Yeah. This is really weird. Dude 
doesn't get out of his driver's side, yeah. slides across, and I'm sure Hitchcock just wanted the shot. Yeah. You know, but like, I mean, I know we have bucket seats now and they had bench seats, so you could just slide across, but it's still weird. Yeah. And he walks essentially right by where Anthony Perkins is. Yeah. Who we saw over on the side there, right? Yeah. And now he comes in looking for him. And then the, the spatial relations end up just being weird. Yeah. I wondered when I think when I first saw this, like, is he going to find the hole to look into cabin number one? I wonder what the symbol is of the raven, too, being the first thing he sees. Well, he quotes Nevermore. Ah, there that you go. much. Let's you know he's about to be stuffed. Sorry, quoth. <laughs> he doth quoth. Quoth the raven. And is this a safe he was looking in here? Yeah, it looks like. Oh, because he's looking for the $40,000. Right. Looks very right. much like a safe. Because he still thinks it's a movie about $40,000. Right. Which it's not. Not anymore. Yeah. Creepy house. Yeah. Don't go up there. No, it's a big mistake. Don't go up there because I know you want to. Don't go up there. So what happens to Arbogast? To me... Is yeah. actually more upsetting than Marion Crane. Absolutely. Why is that? Uh, I think the way it's shot, the camera they use, and the way he's falling backwards, that helplessness of it all, and the shock on his face of what's I mean, they're happened. both totally unexpected and shocking murders. Yeah. And the shower scene is far more vulnerable and mm -hmm. horrific. Sure. But this one's just like, maybe because he's... Marion was running and she had stolen money. And yeah. She was in somewhere she, sh you know, shouldn't be right. in some level. Whereas he's like a good guy who's just trying to find the truth. Yep. So have we ever seen anyone lock a door in a Hitchcock movie? <laughs> like all through Rear <laughs> Window know. and in Vertigo, people just walk into places. Yeah. He just walked into some strange people's house. It was a nice, it was a nice time back then. Yeah. I love the way this is shot. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. Looks around, walks up the stairs, beautifully constructed. And then this is, I believe that is a projection and he's, that that's how they're doing this. Sounds about right. It's like a composite shot. And as soon as you see that door start to crack open, you go, oh no. The God's eye view. Oh, oh, this yeah. scene is incredibly brilliant. But right, right there. Here, yeah. The helplessness of it all. Ah! Yeah. And then this is just oh. so cool. Right? The shock of it all. And then, yeah. oh! The I didn't Man, remember they screamed. Mm. Norm Norman's mom is spry. Yeah. Runs right down those stairs for an invalid. I like, like, it's so... He he closes the distance so quickly that that make it makes it's so believable that he doesn't have time to react. Yeah. And now Lila's she's she and now so that's our second movie now. Yeah. So we our our first main character was Marion. We watched her for forty something minutes. Yep. And then and then she dies unexpectedly. Like, what's the movie about? Then we have ten minutes of Norman cleaning up, and then for the next ten or fifteen minutes. We're watching Arbogast. Yeah. You know, he's our guy. He's doing the, oh, I think he's getting close. He's figuring out the clues and like, nope, nope, no more him. Yep. And now the movie is Lila and Sam, I guess. But and she Sam. seems to be the driving force. Well, of course. Um, Because she's like, he's not back. We got to go. Yeah. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go. Yeah. By the way, do you think that this is going to end up being a romantic couple? 
Lila and Sam? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I think so, you know, because he was enjoying himself with Marion, but it was always his excursions. I think his proclivity is more for the good girls. By the way, we're back the in, with the car-eating bog. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. It's funny. I don't find them to have chemistry together. Right. And Lila is such a different personality from Marianne. They're really well-drawn characters, I think. Mm-hmm. So here's what's weird. So he hears them say Arbogast, right? That's so such a well-shot moment. Really Slow shot. turn in the dark. In, he's in the darkness in his face. Everything else around him is light, but in his face he's dark. Look at that. That's Look. a great shot. Yeah. But if he heard them say Arbogast, mm-hmm. now when he comes back here, mm-hmm. what does he think? He knows someone was looking for them. Oh, so it's just him. So it's just Sam right. that went. Right. So he knows someone. Oh, and he saw the old lady too. Yeah. Sick old lady unable to answer the door. Or on Willie. But again, if you kill your mom. Right. And you stuff her and preserve her body. Yeah. And everyone thinks your mom is dead. Wouldn't you not leave your mom silhouetted in your window all the time? It's uh, a good question. Just asking you, John. I feel like you know more about these topics than I do. Well, I have lived a bit of a wild life. I'm not going to lie. I love this guy, too. Such good character actors in this yeah. show. So we've woken up the sheriff. Yeah. Trying to tell the story. Such a perfect sheriff for this town. Old, putting on the pounds a little bit. Got the bushy eyebrows. But it seems to have some wisdom. Yes. His wife is good, too. She's uh, very, like, sweet. Oh, you know, kind of let me make you some milk and cookies while we talk about murder sort of person. Right. Um, And they're talking about oh, Mrs. Bates. And this is as soon, as soon as you see these little looks. Yeah. You start to go, oh, shit. Wow. I like mm. I like the sort of slow pace as the information yep. gets to the sheriff. Yep. He's so chill though. He seems like the kind of sheriff you'd want to have in your small town. Yep. He's seen it all. Yeah. He's relaxed about it all. Yeah. Tell me what you need. Tell well, me, I'll tell you what happened. He's not a good enough sheriff to know that there's a serial killer no. that's working in his town. Yeah, he's been dropped the ball there. Yeah, he's missed some stuff. Yeah, Lila's totally the driving force here. Oh, yeah. Do you think, at what point yeah. does the audience, if you've never seen before and you don't know anything, right? at what point are you starting to wonder about Norman? I didn't wonder about Norman until the end. 
I think that last push in on him at the ball. Oh that yeah, good talk point. about. Yeah. He looks very evil and powerful. Yeah. And then I think the looks exchanged between the sheriff when the subject of mom comes up mm-hmm. also plants a little bit. But I don't think I would agree with you. Is I don't think you could really conceive of what the reality is. Okay. All unless right. you know what I mean. Yeah. Unless you know it. I hear you. Yeah, Flory, connect us to the Bates Motel. Stop messing around, Flory. That was really nice of the wife to do that for him. Yeah. He could not do that himself. Well, the more he does it and puts everybody at ease, then they can sleep together. Oh, they sleep with themselves. Right? <laughs> what? I'm sorry. <laughs> sleep with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fellow stopped by there tonight. This uh, one wouldn't be a customer anyway. Uh, private detective. Name of Arbogast. Arbogast. I like to do that. If you, yeah, well, I think we solved this whole thing. Arbogast came and he left. I think we're all good. Yeah. Hmm. And there it is. She's been dead for 10 years. Oh, man. In the I, audience, you're like, what? What the hell's going on? I think that she's been buried, buried for 10 years. I think that's become such a cliche mm-hmm. in, sco- in spooky stories. Yeah. You know, oh, he's been dead since 1973. <laughs> um, and I don't think this is the first time we ever saw that. I think we saw yeah. stuff like this in The Twilight Zone before that and probably oh, yeah. in at, you know Edgar Allan Poe stories and things like that. Yeah. But this locks it in. Norman found them dead together in bed. How do you know? Because Norman told you. This is where, like, I don't think you're such a good sheriff, dude. Yeah. In the house, behind the motel. This also goes to, like, you know the thing, you know, there was the Eddie Murphy routine and then in Scream, where now that we know horror movies work, where you would go, Okay, I saw an old lady in the window, and you say she's dead ten years. Yeah, there's an alarm going off. Of like, course, there's some real problems here. He's so cocky. Look at him. The chewing of the gum. The sleeves are rolled up and again, now. It's that low angle shot. Yeah. Do you think he also maybe senses that he might be in trouble? Well, this is what's so odd about what they do with his character is that if it is, as they say, there's the Norman personality and the mom personality, then I don't quite get what's going on. Yeah. Like, why does he look cocky right now? Um, I can be getting called into the room. Norman? Norman? I mean, maybe that was mom. You know, it'd be interesting because he's eating the candies. Yeah. I wonder if when he's eating the candies, he's mom. You know what I mean? Like, if we're saying that sometimes when we're seeing Norman, mm. he's Norman, and sometimes when we see Norman, it's mom, yeah. it would be interesting to break down which is which. Hmm. Um, you think I'm fruity? Because he made the decision while he's sitting down there that I got to put mom in the fruit cellar. Again, this is like smart, cheap, 
storytelling on Hitchcock's part. Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to shoot anything. I'm just going to have the camera yeah. move around. And hear voices. And hear voices. Yeah. And, I mean, it is moving into this. I mean, this is not a, a, an easy shot to do. It is a difficult shot. But all of the whole scene in there, we're not even going to see. Nope. Um, Norman, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? No. Oh. Because now our brains are going, who is this woman he's talking to? Right. If his mom is dead, then who is this? <sighs> and then you kind of, I think at this point you've gone, oh, Norman must be the killer. And he's abusing this yep. poor woman too. Yep. I mean, that's the thing. I can't imagine the movie not knowing what I know. That's the hard thing about this one. Well, there's always room for church. I always go to church before I visit a serial killer. <laughs> Get your head in the right space, you know. Pancakes. Um, so the sheriff already went to see him. Yeah. Just handle himself. I think it's time the sheriff's not doing anything that we should take the law into our own hands. Again, their plan is not very good either. Right. Let's just go to the motel and poke around. I just love how, you know, when they don't agree with you, I don't know. It, 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 you see what he said. He's just like, he's like scoffing at the things that are happening here. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it does make sense because they don't know they're in a serial killer movie. Right. They think they're in a crime movie. Of course. There's just this poor woman who stole 40 grand and she has disappeared. Yeah. And somewhere she's going to spend the money. We'll get the cops involved. We can still find her. Yeah. You know, but Arbogast's disappearance is actually the weirder one, you know, because yeah. Marion's trying to disappear. Right. He's not. And now it's been, you know, 24 hours since we last saw him. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're going to go check into the Bates motel. I, you know what? I'm kind of changing my thought. I think there's no connection between the two of them. I don't think they end up together. I think they mm. are total. This is convenience. Okay. Now who's in white Norman. Why is he in white all of a sudden? Does not look happy. Can't find Norman. Yeah. I love the setup of this, by the way, which is they're basically saying, hey, we need to check into your motel for basically for afternoon sex, yeah. but we need a receipt, <laughs> but we want to pay in advance. It's all very strange. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. And again, I think this is charming, Norman. We get to see sweet, smiling Norman. Yep. Why does he want to proceed? I don't never quite understand it. Oh, because uh, he wants to see the book. That's he, he wants to sign in, that's for sure. Could you recognize your girlfriend's signature if she signed someone else's name? Uh, we haven't been with her that long. No, but, but I can sense from her writing the distinct difference between us as writers yeah in terms of how we write on a page i can recognize my wife's handwriting but i don't know that i could recognize if she signed pretending to be someone else yeah i don't know that i would do that you see he's trying to call him out yeah 
Here, let me pay you my $10 in advance. He's trying to instigate him. He's trying to get to see if he'll like flip out or do whatever, or, you know, play, uh, show his hand. They they're pushing it. Yep. Yeah, nobody has locks. Nope. I mean, we did see that there are keys, but we don't really lock anything. Yeah, Norman looks scary there. Yeah, he does. Which, what's scarier, Amity Island or the Bates Motel? I think the Bates Motel. I agree. It is a scary place. Well, we could add to that uh, the Overlook Hotel. Yes, true. And, um, and possibly that, uh, what's the name of the spaceship in Alien? It's the, like the... The Nos- Nostro? The, the Nos- yeah, the Nostro? Nostromo? Nostromo. The Nostromo. Yeah. Those are some scary places, too. Yeah, I think I the agree. Nostromo is really scary. Yes. They're still focused on the money because, and th- and that's what they have to do because, again, we don't even the term serial killer. I don't even think it exists at this point, right? And they think this is that he stole the money because he's trying to get out of this motel. That's yeah. the, what the movie's really about. Yeah. That's what they're. Yeah, this is you know all the president's men. It's follow the money. Now we're going to see if we can look at the cabins. <laughs> Again, not a good plan. Because mm-hmm. if he has stolen the money, do you think he's just left it around or something? What do you think you're going to find? Right. And the other thing, too, is if he's stolen the money, then are you thinking that he's killed Marion? Like, do they think he's killed Marion at this point? No, no, no. Then where do they think Marion is? That's the thing. They don't know what it is, so they're kind of, like, stuck in that mystery part of it. But if if he's stolen the money, then he must have killed Marion. You know, or she's tied up somewhere. I guess those well, are the only possibilities. Well, why aren't you accepting what they just gave us? You don't think it's enough? No, because where's Marion? Right. If he stole the money, she has to be somewhere. Yeah. All these moments. By the way, I think the plumbing system in the uh, Bates Motel has real problems. Because she flushed that paper like a long time ago. Again, it's very slow and methodical for us to get to the toilet and the little scrap of paper she's going to find. Yeah. She gets deeper and deeper into this thing. And he, while he was cleaning up, he didn't look in the toilet. No shower curtain. But we knew where Marion was here. All right, now we finally get it. Let's go talk to the old woman. Yeah. She's determined. No, she's she's the driving force in this. Yeah. By the way, we get no backstory on her. No. It's amazing how this movie works. Nobody has backstory. Nope. No. 
I, I think this is this movie shows that as long as things are driving forward, you really don't care about the past. Right. This is a th- I'm going to make a really weird analogy. Yeah, please do. I think that this is a, a, th- a theory that is used to the detriment of modern television sometimes. Okay. And the, the most egregious example of that is Lost, which is that you establish a mystery. Oh, my God. And then you immediately, in the next episode, you establish some other weird thing, and yeah. the next one is another weird thing, and we never go back to deal with all the other stuff. As long as things are pushing forward, you don't look back. Yeah. You know? Now we're in the stretch of the season, the tail end of the se- of the movie, rather. Yeah. Um, and once again, we have not such a good plan. Oh, a creepy shot of Norman. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me let me just sit and talk with you for a while. Yeah. There's nothing weird about this. Particularly when like it seemed as if they were coming over for afternoon sex. Yeah. And you check into the cabin and a few minutes later you say, "Oh, she's taking a nap. I want to talk to you." Right. Um, there's a great old car in the background there. Yeah. I love the design. Yeah. It's that light blue design really This shot of her walking up the hill I love too. I think yeah. they're very cool. Yeah. Now, does this house look creepy to Lila in this moment? Because it certainly looks creepy to me. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't, I would go like, man, this is not a house I should go into. No, it's pretty scary. She's doing it by herself, though, man. Yep. No, she's the hero of the movie, without question. There's rumors, I don't know if this, but there's rumors about a sequel. Oh, really? And that she would uh, have a part in it. As a returning, Vera Miles. Yeah, she's Vera still Miles. alive. She's still alive, dude. You got to catch her. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you seen her? Oh, a number of films. She's a good actress. All right, we're in the house. We're heading. We're getting there. So let's just have a conversation where I'm going to quietly try to trap you into saying that you really stole forty thousand dollars. Yeah. Everyone's always trying to get over on Norman. Yeah. But he just walks people right into his trap so comfortably because he has that whole act. Look, the hands in the pocket, yep. the leg up. It's all confident swagger. I love charming Norman Bates. Oh, yeah. I really do. You can't touch you can't touch him. You know, of the nervous Norman Bates, swagger Norman Bates, charming Norman Bates, and Norman Bates dresses his mother. Yeah. I choose charming Norman Bates. Oh yeah. This room mom's bedroom i guess yeah. is really creepy oh yeah look at that in particular the bed that has like the indentation right remember this is 1960 60 so like she looks like she's still living in the 1800s oh yeah or, 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 well it's early a Victor- i mean the house is victorian so that's definitely 18 late 1800s yeah um the colors and the all the lines. furniture it just is preserved her beautiful dressing gowns yep. that perfectly fit her son Norman. Yep. <laughs> There's a great little jump scare coming up. Like a like a precursor to the classic modern jump scare. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah, oh shit. Whoa. There it is. That is the classic. I think there's something, but it's just me. That's the creepy th- that yeah. mattress creeps me out. Look how burrowed in. God, how long was she sleeping in there? Yeah. 
or as long as they keep her in there. Well, and what I wonder is, like, are they saying, does he sleep in there now, or? That's a good question. This is a weird conversation. Like, yeah, this is, it's weird. Yeah. More than happy. Yeah, what could be more ha- than happy than living with your desiccated old mother mom- mummy? Yeah. She's both a mommy and a mummy. <laughs> She's a mom mum. Those designs of the circus up top. Very is this, so is this Norman's like kid room? Yeah. Yeah. Uh by the way, old dolls and old toys are just creepy. Yes. <laughs> I think we I think our technology has improved a lot in these areas. Yeah. What was this? What was the album? Eroica, Beethoven. Hmm. Beethoven. Wait, I want to look that up. I wonder if what I wonder what that means. So this one's a weird one. Is that she sees a book that has nothing on it? Yeah. And I think apparently in the screenplay or in the novel, this is like filled with creepy erotic drawings or something like that. But we just see an empty book. Uh, okay. The large-scale composition that marked the beginning of Beethoven's creative middle period. Okay. Uh, is erotica like erotica? Is that the uh, title? Stretching boundaries, form, length, harmony, and perceived emotional and possibly cultural content. Huh. And here's where Norman figures it out. Where's that girl? Yeah. You kind of messed up there, Sam. You push it too hard. Right. Oh, and that hit on the head is totally not convincing. Of course, it's terrible. He goes right past his head. Right. Oh, he sees her coming. Great shot through the window. Or she sees him coming, rather. Maybe. Hey, I got an idea. Let's go down to the fruit cellar. Yeah, let's run down to the basement. Does that make any sense? Nothing bad ever happens there. Great shot. Beautifully framed. Right. Beautifully lit. And I think she, she's gotten away with it. She thinks she can make it out. And then she has the uh, thought, there's one room I haven't looked in yet. I have to know. I have to know. And this, by the way, I think I mentioned in our Hitchcock episode just on his biography. This is the shot that my wife was almost the body double for for Psycho 1998. Oh. So we are coming up on Lila Crane reaching, seeing the back of mom's head. Right. Oh. And reaching towards to turn her around. That shot was what my wife almost body doubled for. And here it comes. Oh! Great reveal. Great scream. I love hitting the light. Hitting the light bulb. And then she sees him. Ah! That is creepy, creepy. Look at, look at the bit. shock on her face. Yay, Sam has come. Oh, that that is so great. With the music and the slow, the wig coming off yeah. and the slow reveal of the body and the shirt and the still, the, the, the light bulb swinging around. Yeah. I love the way the light plays in the eye sockets as it goes back and forth. That is really cool. Um, and, and, you know, this must have been people's first exposure to something like this in a film. Oh, like, yeah. We're probably like so like blown away by it. Like, 
unsettled. Well, I'm sure they had rating problems of like between the shower scene and the dead body. Yeah. Yeah. And the opening with her in the bra. Oh, yeah. 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 Because you couldn't show two people in the same bed. I mean, that was, they had to have separate beds with one foot on the ground. That's right. You know? Even Ricky and Lucy. And here we have the psychiatrist. This is what just, it just is a really, really long monologue explaining the split personality. Yeah. It's bizarre. You know who that is? Who Who is it? It's West Side Story. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. That's who it is. I knew he's familiar. Get out of here, Bernardo. Please. It's not Officer Krupke, for those of you listening. No, it's the guy <laughs> above Officer Krupke. Right. So now we're going to, and I think this is what, you know, we, we talked about it in Vertigo, actually, mm-hmm. of like psychiatry and that we're going to figure, I think Hitchcock had some fascination with psychiatry yeah. on some level. Sure. And I think we kind of moved past it to some degree where we don't need to explain. We don't yeah. have to have a huge, long explanation, particularly at the end of the movie. It's like, look, the movie, we're, we're done. Yeah. Like, let's get to the end a little bit. But so this is one area where I don't love this scene in this movie. Yeah. The mother. He's a swaggering psychiatrist. No, he's right. Well, could you you got this gig and yeah. you have like a three or four page monologue yeah. to climax the Hitchcock film. I think you're gonna put everything you have into it. That's true. That's a very good point. You're gonna act the fuck out of it. I yeah. suppose you're right. And it's pure exposition. Yeah. You have no character. You there's no motivation here. You're just like, let me explain everything that you just saw. She threw them over for this man. Matricide, John, is probably the most unbearable crime of all. It's the most unbearable of the son who commits it. That's for yeah. sure. Wow. Yeah, the, the it's just a lot. <laughs> it's so funny because our image of what a serial killer is today is like a completely different thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it is. It, and, and a psychiatrist. What, yeah, and what a sociopath is. and yeah. Yeah, this goes on a really long time. Yeah. It's almost like he's doing a lawyer speech at the end. Totally. That right? is like he's summing up. Final, final uh I might arguments. be just a small town psychiatrist. <laughs> I'm just a frozen caveman. Your ways are foreign to me. <laughs> but Yeah. I yes, Phil Hartman should have played this part. Oh my god. In a, in the remake. <laughs> Yeah, it's still, it's going on and on. Yeah. Therefore. Hmm. Yeah, he's acting the shit out of this. Oh, yeah. Aroused by him. I really don't understand why Hitchcock felt the need to have this you know what it is, too, is this is like what you would see in a TV show. I don't think this was Hitchcock at all. You think this was just... I think it's a studio going, you've got to do something at the end explain. of here to explain everything to the to the people who are watching. Because he was never this ham-handed. No, I mean, this is so much... 
I mean, it is like a 1950s, late 50s TV drama yeah. where you're just going to have a big speech. Yeah. You know? And if you look at, like, we just did Vertigo. We just did Rear Window. There's nothing like this in there. Thoroughly agree. Because just to be clear, for those of you playing the home game and watching along, yeah. this monologue is still going on. Yeah. I mean, this has been a long time. If I knew this monologue, I'd perform it like uh, Unforgiven. <laughs> I think this, this would be your new audition episode. piece. Yeah. Zena Jazz, speaking of voice, he tried to be his mother. <laughs> you know who would do this well? Shatner. Oh, Shatner would kill this. Are you he, kidding? He would, eat this, he would eat it up. Oh, my God. Well, and you just have all these shots of these people that are just listening, yeah. right? Just listen. He would put pauses within the pauses. Yeah. Battle is over. Yep. And now we finally get the answer. It's like the money was a true MacGuffin. Yep. It literally meant nothing. He feels a little... And now we're going... Now this is great. Yeah. First of all, that actor who we're about to see, yeah, Ted Knight. Oh, look at that. Yeah. There's Ted Knight, who does a really good oh. job in this extra part. And this is amazing. Yeah. I think the shot is amazing. The slow push in and hear Mrs. Bates's voice and hearing, watching Perkins's face. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, I think this shot is totally amazing. Yeah. To watch like sheer madness going on with this yeah. person. But look how sh the only two people that hear voices are him and Janet Lee. Yeah, and Janet Lee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one else has this happen yep. in the movie. It's true. This is so good. <laughs> like, I would have just found a way to cut down the psychiatrist monologue and get to this faster. Yeah. I love that he's going to start to smile. I'm not even going to swat that fly. They'll see and they'll know why she wouldn't even harm a fly. That smile is, <laughs> I mean, that is psycho. And you see it almost becomes a skull for yeah, a moment. Yeah, because it goes his mom. It yeah. his mom's face. It's great. Oh, amazing. Right. And the end on the car coming out. It's so perfect. So we have reached the end of Psycho. There you go. There's no end credits, huh? No. We had yeah. everything in the beginning. 1960. That's how they did it yeah. back then. So this movie, obviously, hugely, hugely influential. Yes. This is the beginning of what will become the slasher film. Mm -hmm. This is the beginning of the psycho film. By the way, I think it's that last look from Anthony Perkins at the end yeah. that really solidifies Oh, yeah. It. I think that is amazing. He's still in control. So we have this hasn't been one of our traditional cinephiles episodes. Right. But do you mind if I ask you if you have any final thoughts on Psycho? Sure. Uh, we're watching it again with this... Uh, um commentary track you the movie itself you're not presented with much you're not presented no. with much of the backstory of the characters or whatever what you're presented with are a bunch of really good actors and they are playing the, they are playing the silences so well and then hitchcock as a director because of the limited budget he was on 
is able to make the movie work by filling in the blanks with these voiceover scenes and what have you that you don't even see, but your mind creates them. Your right. mind, which is gets you in the mood of the movie because this whole movie is a guy creating something in his mind about what he's sure. experiencing. You know, so that's brilliant. Then you get the young. Uh, Anthony Perkins, who is absolutely fantastic in this movie, very charming, but also play- he within the scenes that he's in. Remember, he is pl- Norman Bates, but he is playing the character of Norman Bates because at the end, when you get that monologue, it's been Mama Bates the whole time. Norman Bates has not really been there in a fully realized way at all. It is his mom imitating his son. Not his son imitating his mom. Even when right. he's dressed as her, it's her. It's the mom character. It's the mom character, right? Yeah. Exactly. And that last, well, like you said, Steve, that last smile is oh, yeah. the real, the really like full embodiment of this man's lunacy that is never going to go away. And it's incredible to see that. Uh, and this film moves fast. It's an hour 40, 48 minutes. It feels like it's a forty-five minute film. It moves so fast. Yeah. Um. For me, I know that I said before, this is not my favorite Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. I do think watching it, you see that great Hitchcock craftsmanship, the ability to create suspense even over a scene of someone packing a bag or cleaning up a room for a long time because of the Bernard Herrmann music and because of the situation that he's created, you're still filled with that suspense. Mm -hmm. I also think that what, what elevates this movie isn't the story and the craftsmanship, but the idea. Yeah. I think Hitchcock knew somehow that this idea of the killer, of the insane killer in the lonely place who will murder you unexpectedly Mm -hmm. with no reason at all and no moral compunction was going to haunt people. And I think that this movie is the inspiration for an entire genre of films. That's a great point. That are going to explore that idea and and TV series and, you know, Criminal Mm -hmm. Minds and all this stuff of like going into the mind of the remorseless killer. Yeah. And so therefore I'm going to put this movie into a category I have not mentioned in a long time, Mm -hmm. which is great films that ruined Hollywood. There it is. Is that I think this is a great film. I think this created a whole bunch of other great things Mm -hmm. in its wake and also created dozens and even hundreds of imitators of crap that would not have existed if Alfred Hitchcock had not broken through the door, gone into the shower, pulled out the knife and the chocolate syrup, and started murdering Marion Crane. Well, there you go. Um, so that is what we think of Psycho. You've, I hope you've enjoyed our commentary track. Yeah. It's not something we do very often, but certainly maybe this will be our annual tradition sure. when we do a month of a special director in January of each year. I really hope that you've enjoyed our month of Hitchcock. I know that I have really enjoyed spending a month Digging deep into the master of suspense. Yeah, me too. It's been a lot of fun. And to see how excited our fans were to have us tackle Hitchcock was even more fun. It made it even more worth it to do it because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of them asked us to do it. But we didn't know how deep the desire to do it was. Clearly, we started doing huge it. love for Hitchcock. Yeah. So thank you very much for pushing us to do it. Yeah. We're sorry that it took so long. And uh, by the way, we've also just launched Cinephile Shorts, and mm-hmm. John and I just recorded two of them, which will be going up on Patreon.com uh, 
probably one of them's probably already up and the other one will be up next week and they are uh one on our favorite podcasts yep and the other one talking about cobra kai so if you want to hear what john and i think about podcasts and the youtube series cobra kai based on karate kid the only way to do it is become a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash the cinephiles a three dollar a month bid or pledge is all you need to do to support the show and hear those episodes yeah. but for five dollars a month you can actually suggest what we're going to talk about in a cinephile shorts mm-hmm. thank you for everyone who supports the show there thank you for those of you who subscribed on itunes or on youtube yeah. we left your reviews your comments and those of you who haven't i think it's about time that you do yeah <laughs> um, if you want to buy any of the movies that we've talked about including a whole page devoted to alfred hitchcock you can visit cinephiles.net as always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris, on Instagram on SR Morris One. John, where can they reach you? You can find me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. That's R O C H A. Find me on there, follow me. Let's talk some movies, send me some comments, whatever. And of course, you can see all my work over there at Collider. And don't forget about the Top 10 show on the Schmoes No podcast channel as well. And thank you for spending an entire month with us and Mr. Hitchcock. And we will see you next time on The Cinephiles.